Bookers, come on down! You have stumbled upon a pot of word salad at the bottom of a sometimes inappropriate rainbow. At the controls are indie authors Sintra Sullivan, Kay Banning Kellum, and David Atherton Cooper. I'd like to say they know what they're doing, however, as the official voiceover guy, I have sworn an oath of fealty. Welcome to the What the Book podcast, where scripts and pants are optional. Hello, bookers. Welcome to episode two, season two of What the Book. I'm very excited to be here. Of course, I'm Cynthia Sullivan. I have David Atherton Cooper with me. Hi, David. Good evening. How's it going? Good, good. And hey, Benning Callum. Hey, Caleb. Hey, hey. Um, uh, I, I love that we've got to season two. It's very exciting. And we missed Caleb last week. So I am totally throwing over to him to get this topic started. Let's go, Caleb. Hey, all right, everybody. Hey, check it out. Yeah, last week, you know, I was I had to do a little self-care on myself, folks, and that's a very important thing. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, life is stressful and crazy as fuck right now. And I was definitely oh, yeah. feeling the weight of that. And uh yeah, sometimes you just have to know when to take a mental health day. And that was kind of last week for me, but I'm glad to be back. Thank you guys for keeping the seat warm. And tonight we do have a hot seat for everybody as we are comparing genres once again, a little bit of a genre battle. We had so much fun with the romance versus erotica that I'm hoping I can make this just as kinky and foul as the last one, as we will be talking about paranormal versus sci-fi. Neither one of those are genres that I personally write in, even though I have dipped as a horror author, I'm sure I have dipped into both. I know I have done a little bit of horror sci-fi. Paranormal to me is one of those fucking ambiguous damn genres that is just really hard to define. So tonight we're going to try and do that a little bit for you. If you are a paranormal author, I'm sure you're sitting there to going, oh, what do you mean it's hard to define? It's so fucking simple. Well, help me out then because I'm not sure if we're talking Twilight or Underworld or where exactly the line for paranormal is drawn. But like I was telling my co-host earlier tonight, I know for a fact that it ain't fucking horror. I was definitely, <laughs> I learned that uh, as I just recently finished reading the extremely enjoyable, pleasurable Kaya Carrington Russell's Shadow Minds Journal, um, which is a paranormal romance erotic type book. At least that's how I kind of summarize it. So, hey, it's good stuff. You just got to wiggle your way into it. Um, so, hey, everybody out there, uh, Centra, I think you kind of are the closest to a paranormal author. Why don't you tell the people listening what exactly the hell paranormal genre in writing is in your words? I am a paranormal author. It's exactly what I am. Uh, all my books have a paranormal theme to them no matter what because – I don't like dealing with reality. I deal with enough reality as it is. If I get to write, I'm I'm getting out of it as far as I can. So the paranormal genre, by definition, is a non-scientific bodies of knowledge whose existence within these contexts is described as beyond normal experience or beyond scientific explanation. So if you're looking traditionally, it's things like telekinesis, life after death, ESP, you know, um, Ouija boards, talking to spirits, blah, 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 blah. If you're talking more modern paranormal, of course, you'd be involving your vampires, wolves, witches, you know, dragons, etc., etc. 
So uh, talking, if you're looking at authors that people might know is Sherilyn Kenyon, who does a Dark Hunter series, very popular. Read it, people. It is epic. Uh, or, of course, Gina Shoalwater, who's one of my personal favourites with the Lord of the Underworld series. Um, both of them are phenomenal authors and strictly paranormal. Although Sherilyn does do sci-fi as well. Mm. Surely if you're a paranormal author, you've got to be really lucky because when you're moving that planchette around on the Ouija board, you have to have someone watching who can write down your words and publish them for you. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a talent. That's awesome. If only it would be that easy, huh? <laughs> so I my take was... on paranormal, I guess, um, as a horror author, um, my take on paranormal seems to be more of a humanized version of traditional elements of the supernatural. That's what yeah. I got kind of out of it is you're taking vampires or werewolves or ghosts or demons or whatever and you're kind of making them very human um, while still maintaining that kind of a meta-human status at least that's kind of the feel that I got from Kaya's book Um, I've also I realized while reading Kaya's book that I've read a couple of other I guess paranormal type ones in the past Um, usually just books that I came across at a USO or something like that when I was in the military and I just read them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's kind of that. I, it's uh, the way I kind of summarize it, <clears throat> the easiest way for me anyway, and you guys can tell me if I'm right or wrong, with paranormal and sci-fi both. So horror, I dabble very much in the suspension of disbelief. The reader still has to believe that they are in the real world that we possess outside of the book. Um, and they are reading about these events that are sort of invading uh, normalcy. So mm. suspension of disbelief is kind of the goal. With sci-fi and paranormal, it seems like surrender of disbelief is what you accomplish for your readers if you write in that. You got to go in there and just say, look, this ain't the fucking real world. Don't look for it in here. No, but you can set paranormal in the real world. My paranormal's so- in the real world. Yeah, look, horror to me has to have an element of danger. You have to fear for your or somebody else's safety. It's a threat. Whereas paranormal, maybe not so much, but it has to be that supernatural, monstrous. I mean, my my one, I mean, I don't know if you guys have read any H.P. Lovecraft or The Call of Cthulhu stuff, but to me that's paranormal. It's, It's not necessarily horror. It is these magical monstrous gods from before time who claim slipping between the gaps between the stars and it even touches sci-fi because it goes to that space uber high tech the migo live out on a planet near pluto and they they fly between the stars to capture people's brains and stick them in jars and do what the hell they do with them so that's that's one of these ones for me that kind of sits in between the two. It's definitely monsters, supernatural. It's creepy. The color out of space was a, a phenomenon. And yet it's not. Some people would say it's horror because people are getting trashed and eaten and, you know, you are crunchy and good with ketchup. Sure. But for me, paranormal is more. It's the unexplained. So there's suspense. But you can, as interesting, you, you can have that in the real world. So I'm, I'm in the middle of writing um, a, a story that's set in a village in East Anglia in Britain uh, where some dude who's a broker in the city has to go and take his granddad's old bus pocket watch and get it fixed. And he comes across this town full of very strange people doing weird things 
in the middle of you know 21st century uk pre-covid but yeah it's but i would say that's that's paranormal not horror and it's certainly not sci-fi because there's no high-tech um there's alien cultures i suppose which again for me is part of the sci-fi thing but it's sci-fi then becomes very much about the technology it's out in space or it's near future it's you know the the internet gone mad or whatever it is but to me tech is what makes a sci-fi story whereas it's the supernatural it's the weird that makes a paranormal does that sound right to you it sounds like we might we might have different kind of opinions on how we assess genre is what i'm thinking because to me genre is found less in content and more in reaction um how a character reacts um to these things to me is what defines the genre because um no matter what you're writing about you know a lot of the ingredients that go into a book are essentially the same thing you still need people Mm -hmm. character settings plots cross conflict resolution you still have to have those basic ingredients um it's then how the characters respond so like in paranormal like the biggest thing to me that separated paranormal and horror is yes you can have you can have demons in both right i've written about lots of demons and lots of cults in my in my horror stories it's one of my Mm. uh, favorite themes so in a horror setting okay so joe blow is walking down the street joe blow sees a demon joe blow responds just like you myself or central would respond to seeing a demon pop out of the damn manhole on a street which is probably oh my fucking god what is that thing um whereas in paranormal it's more like they walk up the demon comes out and they're like ah so here comes you know here comes old glassy pete he's a sleek demon from the third layer of the hell they're known for their aromatic scent that lures people into their chambers at night and sometimes spending a few hours with a sleek demon is quite fantastic and other times it can be very draining if you can get past their onyx eyes and muscly skin like that's the big difference to me is like when the character it's kind of where the base of the mundane is set and that's why i talked about suspension of disbelief versus surrender of disbelief it's where you're setting your base as a reader our base when I write horror is what would I do if I walked down the street and a three-headed dog jumped out at me? Um, that is suspension of disbelief. Okay, what's the reader going to do? They're probably going to fucking run for their lives. Whereas in paranormal, you're walking down the street and out, dog, you know, out jumps the dog and they're just like, oh, somebody let a Cerberus out again. Oh, I guess Manheim the Demon Slayer isn't doing his job. Yeah, but also so that, that's where I kind of find it. Yeah, su- suspension or, or, or abandonment of disbelief. So Joe Montana saves the princess. To me, oh, starts, one of mine. To me, starts as a paranormal story. It's a guy trying to figure out what happened to his brother. He encounters the cult, the House of Tear, all this good stuff, and then when it becomes dangerous, and when it's personally being threatened. Then for me it turns into horror, but it's it's the same story and it's set in the real world. So uh, to me, good paranormal is it's kind of it, it's it's kind of real world on the outside. But when you look at the characters and what's happening to them, when you read about the halfway house, they are paranormal entities, but they're trying to make their way in the real world. So I I, I would take issue with the I think they're both just a suspension of disbelief because most of what's going on is is real you read about um the the dragons uh, living underwater and yet the setting for all of it is the real world and what's going on right now 
So to me, they're paranormal, whereas in horror, it's all about you know, being genuinely threatened and in danger, and, and it's fearful, yet the demon pops out. And if you fear that he's about to eat you, well, it's horror. Whereas if you, as you say, if you just kind of go, ah, oh, that's a one of those, paranormal. I love the fact that you referenced my story. That's fucking awesome. Um, I hope you're enjoying that, by the way. Uh, I, I really Sintra, you that. are Sintra, you're still kind of our subject matter expert on the paranormal genre. So what, what, what say you on that subject there? You're walking down the street. You see a three-headed dog. Is it normal to not go, holy shit, what the fuck is that? Okay, well, if you're talking about supernatural and paranormal, are virtually the same subject matter. They have the same type of character. This is my view, people, my view only. You can come at me. I don't care. You can write me. It's all fine. But to me, paranormal and supernatural have exactly the same character types involved. Um, Supernatural will generally have a darker, scarier, more towards the horror side. So, you know, you're writing about your cults and your demons and you're scaring the shit out of your writers. That's your supernatural side. Now, if you take those same characters and put a more romantic twist on them, look at them with a little rosy glasses, you're going to get your paranormal, which is more generally leaning towards a romance genre as a sub-genre that goes with it. Um, There's your difference. Do you think that romance and paranormal are always kind of paired? Is that sort of like almost just a recipe for that genre? Yeah, yeah. Paranormal. To me, paranormal generally goes always with romance. Can have another subgenre like with mine, which will be paranormal romance humor, because I have a lot of sarcasm, a lot of humor involved. So I have those three genre mashup. Um, but paranormal generally goes with romance. Supernatural will take more of a horror, darker tone to it. But they have the same concept of characters. So you know, you look at dragons. Well. My dragons are, you know, they do battles and they they kill people, but they're beautiful, romantic, strong men. And I want, when I write paranormal, okay, and and you walk down the street and you see a very large man with lots of muscles and I want them to look at them and go, ooh, he'd make a good dragon shifter. Mm. You know, (laughs) because... No, you you want them to look at him and go, yummy. Yeah, well, no, but I want them to look at him and go... That's what she, that's a possibility. The almost possible factor that, that those creatures exist in a human world yes. because that's how I write them. I write a dragon mm. shifter. He's, he's only in dragon form when he wants to be in dragon form. When he's not, he's six foot six and built like a brick shit house. He is huge, he's muscly. Dragging him nuts everywhere. Looking. Exactly. Well, you know, as you do. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I want. I want my, my, I mean, it's only mine, but my characters are, want to be involved in a human existence, even though they have paranormal sides to them. Uh, where if I had a oh. supernatural character, they're just fucking out there. They're going to be dragons. They're going to be wolves. They're going to be demons. No matter where you see them, they're going to get you. You know, so it's a darker versus the more romantic tones. But I would say paranormal. So almost, we could almost look if we do a little comparative assessment here, then we could almost say that interview with a vampire, for example, could fall closer to supernatural, maybe. Oh, but there's, there's, a, there's a romance element to it. Whereas yeah, Queen right. of the Damned might fall closer to paranormal. Hmm. 
Um, I mean, because in Queen of the Damned, you know, so an interview with a vampire, I mean, Lestat is, he's not out there saying, yo, I'm Lestat the vampire, come love me because I'm a fucking vampire. They're kind of keeping to the shadows still. Whereas in Queen of the Damned, he's like a fucking rock star. He's like, yeah, I'm a vampire. Come come rock out to me because I'm a vampire. Um, And he's hot. There you go, Central. We can get that out of the way there. And he's hot. <laughs> but but also, I, oh. I don't think you need to have romance. Romance and paranormal go brilliantly together, and it's really popular at the moment. But also, paranormal, I think, goes into sci-fi. So you look at something like the Laundry Files, the Charles Stross stuff, and that goes all over the place. It, it's very paranormal. There's some very weird things going on, but it's also geeky, nerdy, high tech. Um, some of it's set. It, it's set current day, so maybe it doesn't quite count as sci-fi because it's not future, but it, it, it wraps over. And then you look at even look at something like um, Star Wars. Star Wars is sci-fi, but it's got that whole paranormal, the Force. That there's it, it's a, it's a crossover in my book. It has a lot of creatures in it that certainly would fall under a paranormal aspect. Also, one of my favourite authors, sci-fi authors. Um, which borderline crosses uh, Anne McCaffrey with her Dragons of Pern. Now, of course, yes. that's set in an entirely different universe, which but it, but it's clarifies into your science fiction, but has dragons, which clarifies into your paranormal. So there you get a really lovely genre mix-up. And she explains it as sci-fi. Yeah. She explains it as this this was humans who colonized a planet way out in space yeah. and found these lizard creatures that they nicknamed dragons. Yeah. And, and it just, and it works. So, yeah, I, I would say that paranormal and sci-fi actually have this really good, strong crossover. But you look at like the hardcore well, and... sci-fi, the space opera stuff, and they're, they're explaining away what we might say called paranormal effects just by its incredibly high advanced technology well it's alien technology this is the point that i was making this is the point that i was making earlier about suspension versus surrender of disbelief so with sci-fi and paranormal everything because it seems like the, the the prologue is the only real qualifier you need in that genre um you step in for sci-fi and all you got to do is say okay it's the year 2692 humans have colonized pluto um, there's biodomes up there and they've opened up wormholes that can take them to all these far out parts of the universe. And the reader doesn't demand to know how that happened. The reader doesn't go, well, wait, how the hell did we get to Pluto? How the hell yeah. did we build the bubbles? How the hell did we open the wormholes? You know, the prologue says that it's, that is good enough. And that's that kind of surrender of disbelief part where it's just like, okay, cool. We're there. We're on Pluto. We got wormholes. You ain't got to explain why. Whereas in a lot of other genres, a lot of your more reality-based genres, which includes horror, um, you can't – I mean, yes, you can open up that way, but readers are going to tend to ask more questions because you can't just – horror readers, I have found, are a lot less forgiving when it comes to contrived plot devices. Um, whereas in the sci-fi genre, you, you can contrive so much. You look at Star Trek, and I'm a huge Star Trek fan, but so much of that shit was contrived. They'd just be like at the last five minutes of the episode, they're about to get blown up, and all of a sudden, Jordy LaForge or whoever is just like, oh, wait, I can reroute the power cuff links through, you know, by, by pulling power from life support and putting that into the shields, and we might just be able to punch through, and then they do it, and everybody's happy, and nobody sits there and says, wait, show your fucking math, dude. Well, Nobody cares. 
But this so is where... I think that I think that's the thing is is you can get away with a lot more contrived stuff as long as it sounds good. Well, in science fiction, though, a reader's going in blind. You've got no idea where you're going because that the author's going to take you to a different universe, a different planet, a different world per se. Where if you're dealing with anything that that bases it on a, on planet Earth the reader already has an assumption on what to expect. So you better be backing up your shit. Otherwise they're going to be going, ah, uh, that can't happen. Which is why I like, I mean, my favorite sci-fi and I, w- I would call it sci-fi, although it's been categorized as all sorts of things. Doctor Who grew up in the UK, raised on Doctor Who, hiding behind the sofa, watching giant spiders and maggots tr- terrorize people. Dude, the Candyman character freaked me the fuck out as a kid. Dude. I ain't oh, gonna yeah. lie to you, man. So, so I mean, Doctor Who crosses into horror. It's got paranormal, but to me, it's it's sci-fi. It's some alien guy who travels through time, woman now, who travels through time in this magical flying box that's incredibly high tech. Um, and yet, again, for me, that's that's a crossover because it's got aspects of all sorts of other things. So but again, I would. So when there's something that we were discussing before we went live, and I want to I want to talk about this is. Um, all of these books that we're talking about and all of these these genres that we're talking about, none of this is fitting into one specific genre. It's like literally every book that can be written could fit into a number of genres. So, uh, you know, how do we then classify our books? I think Caleb had a really good analogy that I really uh, appreciated. So you want to share that? Oh, cool. Yeah, so I go by the uppercase, lowercase concept. So if you think back to when we were all in school and you had the little alphabet going across the top of the board there and you had your big A, your little A, your big B, your little B, so forth. Um, I kind of look at genre like that. So, you know, you would look at what is your... Okay, so for example, in uh, in my story, uh, Total Universal Blackout, which, um, David, you may have read, it's in the anthology. Hmm. Um it's, I think it's the last story in there, so you may have not gotten to it yet. But if you have, kind of know what I'm talking about. But actually, we'll use Joe Montana Saves a Princess since you've read that one. I would call that maybe horror romance almost um, mm. because it does have the elements of romance between, uh, you know, between Cindy and Brian. Um, or it could even be uh, maybe horror suspense. Those two are always very easy to pair together. Um but you would look for what is your, what is your largest, uh, what, what, is the, what do you want the reader to buy it for? So if I am selling horror books to horror fans, then my uppercase letter in that is going to be horror. And then if I'm going to add the subgenre on there, I'm going to look at, okay, what other elements are prominent enough to where they show up without me having to point them out? No false positives necessary. I don't have to sit there and go, well, if you look here and you notice this, you'll see that they're doing that. So, for example, David said he got paranormal vibes from the story. So we'll just go with that. Um, then it would be horror would be your uppercase. Paranormal would be your lowercase. Um, if that had been my goal, I'm just using that as the example. Um, for Total Universal Blackout, which is a lot easier, that would be horror sci-fi. Um, and But even really, a lot of it does come down to the reader's impression. Somebody else could see it as sci-fi horror. Um, so really a lot of that does come down to your market writing and things like that. What do you want to sell to what section of the bookstore do you want your book to be in? So if you are established as a horror author, 
then even if you know, even if what you're writing could be considered to be sci-fi horror as opposed to horror sci-fi, I think you would still want to keep that marketing aspect in mind and say, okay, well, I still want it to be appealing to the horror fans because that's who puts me on the shelves. And then I also want it to be known that it contains these other elements to kind of widen the net to pull in a larger reader base. So yeah, I, I say go with the uppercase, lowercase style. You're just looking for your prominent uh, genre cues. Don't get crazy with it. Don't get greedy. Don't start being like, oh, well, it contains all of them. You yeah, know, because yes, if you dig deep I, enough, you'll find elements of all of them. But that's kind of misleading your readers to be like, yeah, it's got comedy and it's got romance and it's got this and it's got that. No, you know what the prominent features are. Go with those. Absolutely. And I think you can you could easily pick two uh, being your primary one and a subgenre for every book out there um, easily. Uh, Absolutely. So I Absolutely. think and I, I love the way that it okay I'm, I'm a simple girl you know I'm not a complicated person but that analogy works well in my head uppercase lowercase there's your main genre and if you're doing KDP and you're publishing yourself they will do they do give you two category options and that should be your uppercase one and your lowercase one when I think they give you three on KDP now no two I'm just going Is through it it with my new book yeah two Two genres. Oh, that's right. No, they give you five. They give you uh, five keywords. keywords. That's right. Keywords. It's two. We should do a whole podcast on keywords. That's a whole. We should. That is all. That's oh, one God. that we all have I, to struggle with. I hate. You keywords. use your name as one of your keywords? No. No. I hate no. See, keywords. I do. I use K Ban and Kellum as a keyword. No. Um, there's a whole science to keyword usage that's just insane and it's so technical and it drives me up you're gonna have to teach me that because i know you know all this technical shit better than i do really really imperative you get your keyword really well if you want to sell because it was it just makes so much difference to how much you can turn over um but yeah you get two genres when you're putting up your kdp so uh, that should be your main genre and, of course, your subgenre. Now, of course, do not confuse this with your, with your age group. It's not YA, it's not adult, it's not, you know, um, middle grade or whatever else. That's a different thing altogether. You put that in in a, in a whole different section. Uh, this is just your genre types. Try not to get those two confused. Um, which we'll do a whole, we, we can we can talk about this in an episode later on if we can find a way to make that topic not so dull. Like marketing 101 <laughs> from what the book. Here we go. Here's what the fuck you want to do. Google how to sell my shit on KDP and read that. <laughs> Boom. Oh, Lesson over. Genres. So I'm talking genres. I'm not talking anything else. It's just giving a little heads up to the bookies. Fuck. You're so touchy today. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, would you, would you um, as authors of the indie community, uh, endorse or encourage? Now, I kind of know this from, from talking to you two enough that uh, would you encourage authors, let's say, especially new ones, not so much the established because they kind of want their established? Um, hey, we've got the exposition done here. Let's, what, what, what's the plot? Uh, genre mashups. See, I think a genre I mashup. You said I, genre I, I mashup. Yeah. yeah, like taking. Okay, so if I challenge you to write a horror and a historical a historical horror, you know, taking two completely different genres and making them into one story. 
I mean, we could do that as a fun thing. I'm garbage at writing to prompts. I can tell you that right now. I am probably the worst prompt writer in the world. Um, so I, I always say, look, I can try for the fun of it, but you know, I promise nothing. If it's not organically inspired from my fucking brains there, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a good writing exercise too, though. Also, um, so for that do it specifically that that's what they do. They will, um, take two different genres, uh, and mash them specifically to get, God, it's probably horror and fucking historic is probably how we got Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter the movie. Exactly. No, we don't need more of that. (laughs) (laughs) But done well, that could be a good match. What's wrong with that? Did you see it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was rubbish, but hey, it was entertaining. (laughs) Yes, David, it was rubbish. But the whole idea of the mashup, I mean, this is, this is where I have a real problem. <clears throat> and I know people want categorization. They want to put stuff in boxes and go, oh, this is a thing. And they want to market it a certain way. But some of the stuff that I wrote, the stuff I write, I would call it fantasy. I've got um, um, epic fantasy, but there's elements of horror in there. There's elements of romance. So I would argue that actually pretty much everything that gets written you could argue is a mashup of, of more than one thing unless it's a short story with a very clear focus and they're just trying to do one thing so, so this so- is when when caleb steps up and his analogy um is perfect because then you pick yeah. two two only your main and your sub you can have a thousand other different little undertones going on. That's just for little Easter eggs for your readers to find. And go, well, those are all the building blocks. Nice. Oh, that was nice. Or, oh, that's yeah, those are the building blocks for any genre. I mean, I think the people, I think the problem is people mistake character interactions or, or character behaviors or plot and prose, like smaller elements to be genre. And that's not the truth. Um, yeah. Genre is, you know, is the larging is the larger overlapping conceptual design that kind of paints the entire picture you know so yes you can have characters in a horror story tell jokes and goof around with each other a little bit that does not mean that comedy is all of a sudden a subgenre because if you're trying to build believable realistic characters they're going to do the things that real people do which is mm-hmm. they're going to joke and fart and burp and fuck and do all that kind of stuff but that doesn't mean that all of a sudden you have a a comedy erotic horror picture there at all you know it just means that you are building strong characters by putting you know but it but it's where you put the focus it's where you put the focus that matters like if i take my car into the shop okay um yes my mechanic he might cook a delicious fucking pasta alfredo but I'm not bringing my car to him because he cooks good pasta. I'm bringing my car to him because he knows how to work on cars. So the genre in that situation would be mechanic. Yeah. You know, um, now if me and him sit down and have a long talk while my car's up on the fucking thing there, and he tells me about how he met his first wife by cooking pasta for, and there's, then, you know, and that's like a subplot or something as to how he became a mechanic. Then sure, then you can say that the uppercase genre is mechanic and the lowercase genre is culinary. But that's only if the fact that this guy's pasta has some major impact on why I'm bringing my car to him 
and how I get to the point where I'm driving out of his shop with my car running. If he just happens to cook a good pasta, but that never has a damn thing to do with my car going from broken to fixed, then it's not a subgenre. It doesn't belong in there at all. Well, uh, see with and I think home. that's sorry. No, I was going to say, I think that's just kind of how I sort it. Genre is what impacts the plot from A to Z, mm. uh, how the characters behave and react to the environment around them. You know, not so much every little thing that they do. That's well, with my Halfway House series, it's paranormal romance, the whole series. But the, hum- the humor side of it, I don't put in a, a, a genre because that's just them being them. Because people. Right, exactly. Exactly. A funny character does not make for a humor genre. Yeah, where if I was talking about my reefer one, humor is the subgenre in that one because it's far more prominent and it's far more purpose-built. I purposely increase the humor. It's not just a normal uh, amount of, you know, because we're all funny people. People are funny. Most people. Mm -hmm. That's another really good way to look at it because genre is something that is dictated almost entirely, if not entirely, by the author. That is one of those things that we do control the stick on. Everything else, once we hand our book over to the reader, yes, they're going to take it and they're going to break it down and they're going to make what they will of it. But genre, where we put it, where we market it, is one of those things that is powerfully in our hands. Absolutely. Uh, Now, they may walk away from it later and go, man, this was supposed to be a horror book, but it sure didn't fucking seem very much like a horror story to me. And that can be a failure on my part. You know, maybe I didn't put enough elements of horror in there. And that's why it is important to know your genre. Don't just write about the things that you like, but actually master the art of what you're writing about so that you're delivering powerful elements that seat your book well within the halls of its peers that you're placing it in. Very true. But however, right readers can also interpret it their own way, as you said, because I did a romantic comedy and I marketed it as a romantic comedy. And it's very popular. But I've had a small portion of people that have come to me and said it's more romantic suspense, and I've gone, okay, it has got suspensing part, a uh, suspense element to it, but it wouldn't be what I'd class as it's one of its two major um, genres to it. But they go, no, it is, and I go, no, it isn't, and you know, so it's also you know, reader interpretation too. But surely, at the end of the day, genre is just marketing. You Absolutely. write a, you write the story you're going to write. And it, it's your authentic voice. And if it happens to cross over a whole bunch of different boundaries that other people perceive, well, then it. Well, does. I think now you're describing you're describing an actual genre, though, called general fiction, right now, um, which is its own thing. I do think you do. Now, I me, mean, this is just my personal opinion, though. I, I do believe that if you're going to write to a genre and call yourself, you know, a, a sci-fi writer, a paranormal writer, a horror writer, a romance writer, whatever, you do need to have intent to write within that genre. I'd agree you if you get around that label. Otherwise, you're just writing general fiction and you're just saying, hey, y'all put it wherever the fuck you want. Um, mm. And if there's one thing I know about the general fiction genre is a lot of people don't fucking mess with it for that very reason because it's a very hard genre to ever market yourself. And I mean, Centra, do you know anybody who writes in general fiction? Um, I, I know a number of authors that don't stick to one particular genre that don't market themselves as a predominantly one way or another, and that's me, uh, plus a number of other authors that I know that can't clearly... Right, but do you call yourself a general fiction author? 
I don't write general fiction, but I don't write exactly one particular genre either. I'm a multi-genre writer, but I certainly wouldn't class myself as general fiction. I'm, um, well, the art of general fiction is when you just tell the story. It's kind of like David said, you just tell the story and the writers can, or the readers, I'm sorry, can kind of put it where they want. Um, I, I, it is defined. It, point of view, though. What was that? That wouldn't work from a marketing point of view, though. Exactly. And that's why I was saying you don't hear about many. And I'm, there are very some very successful general fiction authors out there. It is just a very hard genre to really get great at because, you know, people want what they want. You yeah, know, that's why Netflix and everything else is That's why things are broken down. When you go into a bookstore, that's why you got your sections. Yeah, yeah. For a reason. Yeah. So... To the people out there who master general fiction, I take my hat off to you. I don't think I could fucking do it. Well, people have their likes and dislikes. You know, I have my genres that I will always, if I'm walking into a bookshop, there's a side that I'm always going to be going to. And there's this, the, the sections that I go, eh, not today, not my style, you know, and that's just, that's just the way people are. So then breaking them down into categories for me as a reader uh, makes it easier to find books that I want to read. Um, right. And that's why I think genre is important because it is something more one. It is so that we can write within the boundaries of the things that we love to, to write about. I think it kind of helps us as authors too. Absolutely. Um, and it also does help readers find us because, mm. you know, people are going to, you know, people are going to want to read, you know, uh, what, what do they call that? Uh, fuck, uh, it's called something bias. Um, shit it's where people rarely will try new things Cognitive um bias. because once yes yeah, so, you know it's like you know they, they don't want to try the new burger at mcdonald's because they already know they love the quarter pounder so when the new one comes out they don't try it because they're like they don't want to run the risk is that kind of what you're what, what's mm. it called again cognitive bias I would have cognitive that. there it is yeah so i think in the reading community there's a strong cognitive bias i know i always go to horror you know when i go to buy books mm-hmm. um you know um and when I was reading Kaya's book, for example, which I absolutely loved, but it did take me a few, it, it took me a little bit to warm into it because, you know, paranormal erotica or paranormal romance, that, that's not the genre that I generally reach for. So it did take me a bit to warm into it. Um, Kaya is a very talented author, of course, so she is, you know, was able to kind of pull me into that, but maybe a lesser talent, I may have abandoned the book. Just because that's not a genre that I naturally go, man, I really want to see some demons and angels. Fuck. That's not something that I normally reach for. So um, it takes a strong author, I think, to kind of pull you into that. Uh, So, Mm. yeah, cognitive bias is a big thing. Nothing feels as good as somebody coming to you going, I don't read that genre, but I tried one of your books and now I'm hooked. Nothing better. Nothing better. Oh, how good is that? going to have a hell of a compliment coming her way. That's, uh... I have, have converted somebody or introduced somebody to something that they haven't read before and they like it is brilliant because they're going to be your hardest judgment every single time because, you know, they don't know about it. They don't like it. They may have prejudices against it, um, you know, so they're always the hardest sell. Well, now let's talk about folks. All right. I mean, does anybody else want to close out anything on this? I think we've spun this about as hard and long as we can. Um, I love the fact that we all kind of have a different take on this. I think that's what makes us such a great dynamic team. Um, 
Does anybody want to have any closing thoughts on uh, paranormal versus sci-fi before we move into some literature that I'm sure you're all going to love? <laughs> <laughs> well, I just had one last thought. When I was sort of thinking about this during the week, like, uh, sci-fi and paranormal, the thing that stood out for me is you is there's a, there's a commonality between the two, I think, which is about um, meet the aliens. Sci-fi, they're interstellar aliens. Uh, supernatural, they're werewolves and vampires. But I, I would I would still label that meet the aliens. You're sort of discovering this other world or this other culture that you never knew about before. So to me, they're kind of, they're they're different. But I still think it comes down to it's tech versus supernatural. And I would say you can have a crossover. Yeah, we. I would love to read the story where Spock ends up fighting the Stat, and yeah, Dracula's battling alien. And there's acid blood going over the place, and he's getting indigestion. I, I think the crossover works, and hey, I like reading both. So, yeah, that, that's kind of cool. Central, what say you? Uh, I, I think we've pretty much covered it. You know, sci-fi's out of this world. Supernatural's uh, creatures that are going to eat you, and paranormal's creatures that you want to fuck. So, you know, I think that's pretty much covered it all. That does kind of and- sum it up. And I, you know, I summarize it, I guess, with saying that I believe the one defining trait with paranormal, supernatural, sci-fi, and probably a few other genres, fantasy, you know, is that it is surrender of disbelief instead of suspension of disbelief. If you're going to read Lord of the Rings, you certainly cannot look at it from the perspective of somebody living in the modern world. You, you don't have, you, you can't wait for them to pull you into it. You just kind of have to dive into it. Uh, because if you're waiting for an explanation as to why there's hobbits and elves and, and fucking everything else, you're never going to get it. The explanation is they're already fucking there. You read the, you know, you you agreed to read the book. This shit's going to be in there. And that's the difference to me between the uh, suspension disbelief where you have to work the reader into why, as opposed to sci-fi and paranormal, which is more of a where as opposed to a why. Yeah, makes sense. Speaking of why, I'm about to ask you why did somebody write this? Folks, tonight we have a game, a new oh, game. Uh, um, <laughs> anybody out there who's familiar? Game. I get scared, I swear to God. <laughs> well, this Don't one I think is, you know, this is our first one. This is something that I want to try out throughout the season. Um, and we're looking at some fan fiction, ladies and gentlemen, but not just any fan. Because look, making fun of fan fiction is low-hanging fruit, all right? Everybody can do it. It's no challenge. I'm trying to find the creme de la creme of fan fiction. I'm trying to find that fan fiction that makes you go, why, how, what, when? And ladies and gentlemen, I do believe I found a good one to start with. Anybody out there familiar with the show Impractical Jokers? It's about four lifelong friends who love to embarrass each other on TV. Featuring Murr, Q, Joe, and Sal. They're all 40-something-year-old dad bod-looking guys who just go off there, and they are fucking hilarious. If you don't watch the show, I suggest you do. But what I don't necessarily suggest you do is read the Impractical Joker fan fiction. But ladies and gentlemen, you ain't got to because we're going to read it for you. name of the game right here is just try not to crack up. We're each going to take a turn reading from an Impractical Joker fan fiction story here. And the first one to kind of fucking uh, flinch on this one is the uh, the big loser. They are the one who is impractically joked upon. So the big question now is everybody got your page up? 
Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay. Who wants to go first? That's the question. Why don't I read us into the beginning? Read us. I'll read you. So, right. so the pain Give it to was us in that intense. beautiful British voice. Mm-hmm. The pain was becoming intense when Joe saw the ladder and realized what he was meant to do. He sighed inwardly and acknowledged to the other guys that he noticed their little stunt. You sure you're okay, Joey? Sal had become concerned halfway through the punishment as his best friend's limp became more and more prominent. He regretted having persuaded Joe to jump onto the real tables and also was surprised at how hard his friend was hitting the floor after jumping onto the breakaway tables. They'd made sure they used plenty foam on the fake tables, intending that foam to fall under Joe and break his fall. But it wasn't working that way on every table. Sintra. Uh, oh, okay, I'm on. All right. You can stop, buddy. You were hurt. Joe whispered back in, into his ear. I'm okay, Sal. Just sore. It's fine. Murr and Q both shook their heads. They both also, uh, they both were also willing and eager to let Joe off the hook and end the punishment. Let's just call it good, Joe. Come on, man. Forget about it. You did enough. Q's rough exterior hid a very soft and loyal interior. He also knew that knew Joe very well and knew he was hurting. He could see it in his heavy Italian features and he could hear it in his voice. He was as ready as Sal to let their friend off the hook, physically pulling Joe out of the dining hall, uh, was on the edge of his mind. Oh, shit. Okay, I was suffering through. Oh, this is going to be hard for me. Okay. <clears throat> Murray was also ready to end the punishment and spoke up after Q's words got nothing but I'm fine out of Joe. Joey, stop being a hard-headed jackass and get over here. You're hurting. It's time to stop. Don't jump your dumb ass off that ladder. Guys, I'm fine. I promise. I can do it. It'll be great for the show. Sal shook his head in frustration. You think we're more worried about ratings and keeping your dumb ass in one piece? But okay, Joey, do it. I know we won't talk you out of it. Do me a favor, though, and don't go to the top rung. Stay low. Be careful, man. There was a short pause before Sal spoke again. Shit, Joe. I don't know why you can't just listen to us and get over here. You can barely walk. I'm okay, Sal. And with that, Joe climbed to the third rung of the ladder, while the other three guys forced themselves to laugh nonchalantly at the camera. Go, David. Joe, always ready to do anything to make people laugh, made a big production of jumping off the ladder and onto the breakaway table. The landing hurt as his elbow and arm made contact with the hard floor. Oh, shit. But Joe was careful with his landing, and knew that in a few days, all the bumps and bruises would be gone. One last show for the camera, and little whisper to his friends that he was okay, and he got up to make his way backstage. Three steps later, he hit water and slipped. White-hot pain went through his leg and ankle, as seconds later, Joe hit the floor hard. Oh, oh, through the pain. <laughs> the normally fearless man, oh, Jesus, could only think to call out his <laughs> friends for help. Sal, Q, and Mo were feeling it all over and hearing Joe confirm he was okay, began to relax and were laughing oh, at the whole crazy scheme when the painful whisper came through their ears. They were the only <laughs> ones who were attached to Joe's headset and no one else could hear him. My leg is broke. <laughs> Dude, I don't know if I'm losing because I'm laughing while you're reading it or not. <laughs> you two are bad. Centra, oh, shit. Centra, okay, take it from okay. oh, shit. Stay still, Joey. We're coming. Sal ho- ho- hoped his- he kept his voice calm enough to comfort Joe. Damn it. 
Q thought, threw his headset off and ran towards the dining room where Sal and Mer were on his heels. Mer hollered to the other crew that Joe was hurt as they left the little room. Being a firefighter often comes in handy on the set. Q is often able to help his friends, but often in this, this is in a little ways, bumps and bruises and the like. This time proved different. Q was the first one to get to Joe, who had a small crowd of people gathering around him. Caleb? Dropping to his knees beside his fallen friend's leg, Q immediately saw the blood on the pant leg above Joe's right ankle. Gently, he pulled the pant legs up and saw a bone protruding through the skin. There was also blood seeping out the top of the brand new pair of Nikes Joe was so happy to show them just a few hours ago, indicating another traumatic break to the ankle or foot. Q noted the seriousness of the situation as he took the growing pool of blood around Joe's leg, as well as the new sneakers that were being slowly covered by bright red. He was afraid for his friend. He looked at Sal and Murr, who was at either side of Joe's head, trying desperately to comfort him. His, his blue eyes looked up at them in panic and unbearable pain, realizing that Sal and Murr were probably best where they were, that Joe would stay calmer with when he saw his brothers by his side. He spoke to anyone who would listen as calmly as he could, trying not to alarm Joe any more than necessary. Joe was already losing color as the seconds went by. Somebody called an ambulance. We have two bad breaks and he's losing a lot of blood. I also need a couple of clean towels. And David. <laughs> Casey just somehow showed him, showed up next to him with his cell phone and calling 911, explaining the situation. Joe attempted to, to set up and look at his leg at this point, gentle hands on each shoulder, pushing him back to the floor. Sal, unable to steady his voice, still tried his best to speak calmly. Just lay down, Joey. You're going to be okay, buddy. He rubbed the shoulder under his hand. Just just hang tough. An ambulance is on its way, and Q will keep you together till they get here. He spoke with as much conviction and confidence as he could muster, but he could also see the light going out of Joey's eyes. Oh, shit. As his skin got more and more pale, he also did not fail to notice the blood that was slowly beginning to spread across the floor around his friend's lower body. Murr, by this point, had gotten in front of Joe's face and spoke loudly to him. Tears non-ashamedly rolling down his face. When his friends hurt, he hurt. Just stay awake, Joe. Stay with us, man. He gently <laughs> tapped each cheek, trying desperately to keep Joe, oh, fuck, keep Joe awake and aware. He's right, Joey. Don't go to sleep, okay, buddy? Q's voice was shaking by this point. Tears also unabashedly rolling down his face. His tears were the result of not only feeling Joe's pain, but also born of a growing panic. He'd had enough training to know that the amount of blood lost was becoming really dangerous. They needed the ambulance to get here and get here fast. Baby blue eyes tried to close and voices started <laughs> screaming at him, bringing him to awareness. He forced his eyes oh, open again. Sentra, take us home from where's the fucking ambulance? ambulance? Where's the fucking ambulance, Casey? It's stuck in traffic 10 minutes out. We can't wait that fucking long. He's lost way much, too much blood. With that, Q, as gently as possible, picked up his half-conscious friend from the floor. Joe immediately became lucid and screamed in pain. I'm sorry, man. I know it's hurt. And I'm sorry. With that, he began to walk briskly outside, jostling the burden as he went. Joe screaming in agony with every step. Q knew Sal and Mer would be right behind him, so he screamed behind him. Whose car's the closest, guys? My car's around the corner. Sal ran ahead to the open door so Joe could be laid in the back seat. Dude, we made it through chapter one. We made it through chapter one. Damn. I say, I, I think, 
Y'all did great. I think if you guys were more familiar with the show, I mean, but I even I held it together, man. All right, we're professionals. All right, we're fucking professionals. Well, okay, that that lays down the goal. Do you guys want to do the next chapter tonight? (laughs) Not tonight. (laughs) I was going to say, how invested are you, Central? We can click next and go on to chapter two. (laughs) What I do like, though, is that um, sharing the story between us is really fun. I quite like this idea. I like that, too. That is kind of fun. So listen, folks out there, this is Broken, an Impractical Joker story written by fan writer Chris. It's available over on, what is this website? I don't know, fanfiction.net. Fanfiction.net. Um, so, hey, maybe next week we pick up chapter two. Maybe this could be our little thing. I don't know. We can take turns reading through this. I like it. Uh, I like it. I like okay. it, too. And I like the Impractical Jokers. And you know what? I really want to know if Joe makes it to the fucking hospital and how his shoes turn out because they Stay made it very. Tuned. Stay tuned because they... next week to find out what's going on with Joey's leg. Will he survive? Yeah, and you guys need to watch some Impractical Jokers. <laughs> really get an appreciation of what we're looking at here, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> too right we, we will go oh, I'm, I'm so glad to be back where i belong on my saturday nights here guys last week was kind of a rough time for me like i said at the top of the show ladies and gentlemen if you're out there if you're going through some dark times look even the king of schlock gets the blues now and then and self-care is very important but i absolutely missed hanging out with my two great friends Centra and david here mm-hmm. and tonight is definitely put all back in the universe as it should be between yeah, the three we, of us. We missed you, dude, and for everyone, everyone out in the writing community. I got to listen to the episode. I heard you guys gave me a really great shout-out for my book, and I appreciate that sincerely. Then it's um, fixerated. Gone. So as we wind down here, um, David, tell all the good folks out there where they can find you and what you got going on. Well, I've I've been kind of off air for a little while. I haven't done too many. I'm behind on my VSS. But if you look on the Twitter, you'll find at Kung Fu Ponder and all sorts of strange musings and interesting snippets there. That's where they'll find me. Zintra, how about you? Ah, oh, look, I'm everywhere. I've um, I keep on getting asked to uh, expand on my VSS because my VSS tends to be fairly. Um, dark it comes from a very different place than what my books come from my books are characters that visit me my vss is is a far more personal journey for me i don't know if i could ever expand but i do appreciate people telling me how much they love them so you'll find me on twitter google um facebook instagram can't follow me on instagram i'm trying to increase my numbers also trying to work out my website anybody who's got the heads up on how to freaking do a wordpress please Come help me. I am swamped. I can't I can't get my head around it. It's doing my head in. Uh, other than that, that's that's where you find me. Come and on of course what what the book podcast on Twitter. That's where you'll find all three of us. Indeed. Hey, and anyone and the, in the writing community doing it tough, come and say hi. Absolutely. And of course, I am the King of Schlock, New Orleans very own, K Banning Kellum. You can find me on Twitter at Banning K nineteen seventy nine. That's B-A-N-N-I-N-G-K-1979. You can find me on Instagram at K underscore Banning underscore Kellum. And you can find my Facebook group, uh, K Banning Kellum, author of horror over there on Facebook. Uh, my new book, The Vexed and Venerated, is available on Amazon. Do check that out. Everything is in my pinned tweet. Um, guys, this was a great, 
great fun episode tonight. I had a lot of fun. Um, what a good one. Any mm. any last words before sign off? Um, not specifically. I I think we've definitely covered the genres and um had a bit of fun reading some fan fiction. I've not read a lot of fan fiction in my life. I, I will admit that I am a bit of a fan fiction virgin. Uh, but I am willing to take the What's a Book podcast with me and pop our fan fiction cherries together. And That's I right, folks. Tune in next a, week. Yep. I might have a go at writing the Doctor Who Eric Northman epic battle crossover. That could be good. Yeah. And make sure you tune in next week, everybody, uh, to find out what happens to Joe on his way to the hospital. Can the other impractical <laughs> joker save him in time and his shoes? Oh, All right, everybody. This is K-Ban and Kellen from New Orleans signing off. Uh, it's been fun. Good night, everyone. Bye, bookies.